0: amen is this is this working fine is this good amen good morning Uh, my name's Josh Werner I uh, am a part of the sister church in Northwest Arkansas and I'm pretty nervous to share I was feeling really good and then uh, David came up and shared in the communion a prophet is not welcome in their hometown Uh, and this is where I grew up uh, here in Wichita so now I'm nervous Um, So, you know, uh, if you choose not to listen to any of that because of what David shared, amen. Uh, that's, that's scripture. So, uh, But I am excited to be here. I'm honored to get to share with you guys this morning uh, and excited just, just for what God has placed on my heart uh, to share with us this morning. Uh, you know, I think back to uh, the first time I was here at this church. I was baptized nine years ago in April, April 6th. Uh, And immediately after that, once the semester was over at at KU, Rock Chalk, uh, then I came back here uh, for the summer. And so that was nine years ago uh, that I was here with you guys. And I I remember uh, being on the WSU campus. That was uh, back when we still had a little bit of a campus ministry here. And uh, just trying to reach out. Uh, There were a couple interns. I think they were Megan and Henry. Don't know if you guys remember them. Um, And and that was great. And then, uh, of course, Ethan and uh, um, Aaron. Uh, It used to be Coil at the time, uh, and now King, right? Uh, And so, you know, times change uh, a lot. But uh, I remember uh, at at that time just being on campus a couple times a week, uh, pretty much every week. We'd go have a Bible talk. I would go and just reach out with the interns or with Ethan or whoever was available. Uh, and you know, uh, I was I was working hard. We'd do all sorts of events throughout the the summer, uh, all kinds of things. I, I was really involved when I was here, so much that uh, it was said this morning that I was an intern. I was not, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, it was. I, I was just all in. I was really going for it, uh, really hungry uh, to to do whatever I could for the kingdom. And you know, I I didn't really realize I was learning this at the time. Uh, but no matter what I did, it just seemed like uh, it was hard to get some traction uh, for the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? Have you ever felt like that in your life? Uh, right? That, that as much as I shared on the campus, there were no open people. Uh, I remember I, my parents, uh, which is where I stayed, live way on the east side. I don't know which way is east from here. But uh, way on the east side, like almost in Andover. And so it would, it's like a 30-minute drive here, maybe a little over 20 minutes. Uh, But I I remember somebody needed a ride from Mulvane. So every Sunday, I would go down to Mulvane, uh, which adds 30 minutes to the trip. Uh, So I'd pick him up, bring him to church, uh, and I have no idea what happened to that guy at this point, right? But it just felt like no matter what I did, no matter how much I served, how much I cared, how much I shared, how much I, I did, that nothing was changing. Uh, and, and this lesson that I would come to learn, uh, which you guys helped me learn, this city helped me learn, the WSU campus helped me learn, is ultimately I'm not the one who's in control, uh, right? Ultimately, it is God who is sovereign. Uh, and so that's actually my title for the sermon, uh, this morning. Hopefully this, uh, works. I turned it on. It's all good. Uh, oh, we're too far. I don't, I can't see it back there. Sovereign. It was already up there. You guys didn't tell me. Come on um right that's that's our title for the sermon this morning ultimately that god is sovereign right and there's power to understanding that god is in in control that he is the one who is master of the universe who is in control of anything and everything that's going on now he's given us mankind free will to make choices and uh, we don't always make the best ones but ultimately it is god who is sovereign. reigning over everything. And the more we look at what scriptures we're going to look at this morning, the more we will see just how true that is. But our role in God being sovereign is that we need to have a posture of humility. that, That we truly embrace what it is to be humble towards him ultimately being in control of everything. Not just our lives, but everything that's going on. Amen? And so humility is really what we're going to focus on, because that's kind of our role in God and in his sovereignty, apart from worship, which we've already, we've already been nailing this morning, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we, we find ourselves in a place that, that we can talk here about humility. Now, humility kind of has a, a negative connotation, if you will. Uh, you know, have you ever been in the spot where somebody's like, hey, bro, I really want to talk to you after service? And you're like... Uh-oh, right? You're nervous. You, you, my hands start sweating. My hands sweat all the time, so uh, they, they sweat more. Uh, I, get, I get nervous. I'm like, man, what are they going to talk to me about? And I just I don't want to have made any mistakes, right? I don't, oh, what are they going to point out? What did I do? Uh, and and we, we're scared to be humbled. And uh, it's because it's, it can be scary. Uh, to to be humbled, right, to get humbled. It's got this connotation to it that I think is negative, but when the Bible talks about it, it's not a negative thing. It's really positive. It's something that's really good and healthy for us, right? In in Proverbs, we see that uh, a rebuke is described as being life-giving. It's something that's healthy, that's helpful for our lives. If we're truly trying to pursue a relationship with God, humility is something we need and we need all the more. We need to be able to get as much as we can. So I want to to shift our perspective a little bit and view humility as something that's a really good thing. Maybe somebody says, hey, I need to talk to you after service. You get excited. You get a little, okay, maybe not. But whatever. I want us to really look and, and consider this perspective, this posture, that humility is a really good thing in our lives. And Getting to a place of being all the more humble is a really good thing. The way I want to word it here this morning is the journey is worth the destination, right? Whatever it takes for us to end up getting humbled, it is worth it for that destination of actually being humble, right? Not just acting humble and doing some humble things, which is what I thought it meant for a long time, uh, that's not what it means, right? It's, it's uh, a posture. It's where our heart truly is. And so we're going to dive into some scriptures here, starting with uh, James chapter 4, and just round out our understanding. Probably this is a reminder for many of us, but it's a, an important one, and one that I think can take some time to sink in, and there's always something to learn and grow in, right? I I would not uh, claim to be in Moses' shoes as he wrote and said he was the most humble person at his time, right? Uh, So is anyone else, anyone else the most humble? Want to raise your hand? I doubt it, right? And so we can all grow in what it is to be humble and shift our perspective in a good way. So let's look at James chapter 4, just the one verse, verse 6 here. It says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says... God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I love this verse, but also kind of hate this verse, right? Uh, Because I, by my nature, am very prideful. I don't know if anybody remembers my time here. It's probably best if you don't, because I was pretty prideful at the time. And I still, in my nature, can tend to be. But I've had a a hard-fought path to, to being a lot more humble than I was. I'll say that, right? Uh, and I still have that in my nature, uh, to be prideful. But man, humility has been something that, that really has grown so much in me, in no small part due to my time here and what God was able to show me and teach me that I didn't even really realize he was teaching at the time. Amen? And it's so good to look back at those times, right? Do you, can you think of any times in your life where you look back and just think, man, I had no clue what God was really trying to teach me? Uh, well, that's how I feel about my time here, right? I was just doing what I could. I was just kind of making the moves I already knew to knew to make. But I didn't realize what God was going to really use you guys here in this church to teach and train me to prepare me for things in my life, and I'm sure things later to come. Amen. Uh, and so we we look at this scripture, and uh, well, I, I guess I do want to share briefly. Sorry, I skipped over something. Uh, that that Katie and I had a recent journey of our own uh, that the destination is truly worth. Uh, This is my wife, Katie, up here, and she's got a little baby strapped to her. Last time we were here with you guys, I shared communion, uh, and she couldn't share with me because she had some morning sickness and was in your bathroom. So, um, (laughs) and that was uh, little Parker uh, just doing what he could. So he's he's here now, and I'm going to share more uh, later on here, but it was quite the journey. Uh, for, for Parker to be here. And anyone else who's ever gone through pregnancy and, and things of that nature can attest it is quite the journey, amen? Uh, and, and so I'll share about that more uh, when, the, when the time comes, but man, is the destination worth the journey. Uh, and that truly is uh, evident when it comes to humility as well, right? So what do we see in this scripture? Well, first, uh, that, that there's really only two options, right? That either we have a posture of pride, towards God and what's he going to do? He's going to oppose us, right? Who wants to be in opposition to the God who created the universe? Right. Not be, right? And yet, we have so often that built in our nature, right? To be prideful. And what does that do? That puts us up against God. When we choose this posture, this heart of pride, we are in opposition to the Lord of the universe. Let that sink in, right? We are choosing to go up against the God who created everything, the God who is sovereign over everything, who is in charge of everything going on in this universe. And you want that guy to be on the other team. No, right? If I'm picking teams, I'm picking him first to be on my team, right? And so what, what's the, the other side then? right? He shows favor to the humble. If we choose the other side, not the pride, but the humility, if we choose to be humble in our lives, choose to have a humble heart, to be accepting towards that, we'll talk a little bit more about what humility looks like. If we choose that, if we choose humility in our lives, God is going to show favor to us, right? What we see here is honestly, it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant how right you are, factually, in a situation, right? If you are, are, well, I know for a fact that I'm right about this, and then you choose a posture of pride, is God going to show favor to you, or is he going to oppose you, even if you were right about the situation? It doesn't really matter, right? What we need, rather than to be right all the time, is to be righteous, right? To, to choose humility, to choose God's side. And he will bless that. Even if you get advice and maybe it's not the best. Well, you know, you should get advice from a lot of people. But maybe you disagree. You get advice from like a whole board of, of righteous, godly people. And yet you're like, well, I don't agree with any of them. I'm gonna, I would rather do this other thing. I would rather go against what they said. Even if, You're right, and all of them are wrong. Which one is God going to bless? Is he going to bless you in your pride or in your humility? This scripture seems to point us in the direction of humility, right? To urge us, don't be so focused on being just right all the time. Be focused on being humble. Focus on that posture, that heart of humility. And I love even how he, he shares this at the very beginning, the book of James is written to people who are Christians, right? To people who are disciples of Christ. And what does he say? He gives us more grace. That is why God opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble, right? Almost like this is evidence that he will give us favor, that he will give us grace. What does that mean? That you and I, as disciples of Christ, are expected to be humble, that we must be that this is a quality of discipleship. Right. You cannot be living like a disciple and living in pride. Right. You can't, right. right? This scripture makes it clear that God expects us, James, as he writes this, to disciples, expects them and himself to be open to that favor, to that grace. And what does he need to do that? Humility. So if we hope to be disciples, let's be humble. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So what is humility? Well, let's uh, look at it towards others, right? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I love this passage. It has helped me uh, and shaped me so much. Uh, But this is just a little snippet, right? It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's a lot packed in there, right? But this is kind of an explanation of what humility looks like towards other people in our lives. We need a posture of humility, not just towards the sovereign God, but to those he calls us to be humble to. And that's everybody. (laughs) So we need this posture, this, this heart, that we're choosing to value others above ourselves. Ultimately, that's what humility means. I think it's really important that we don't misunderstand humility and twist it to mean something that it's not. It's about valuing others highly. It's not about devaluing ourselves. It's not about claiming that we are terrible or the worst, right? If somebody encourages you and you say, no, I'm awful, that's not humility. That's pride. Because ultimately, the other side of this coin, pride, is self-focus. Now, we so often see that as thinking more highly than we ought, right? Uh, that, that when you are full of yourself and, and you think you're all that, which I have in my life, amen, uh, when you think that, that is pride, but it's only a kind of pride, right? And the other kind is when we focus on ourselves and devalue ourselves. That we put, put the focus on us and say, oh, I'm just so terrible, I'm, I'm the worst. And there's some capacity of like, you know, we should love God because we are flawed and understand that we sin. That's not really what I'm talking about. But when we lower our value, that's when it's, it's out of the realm of righteousness and into the realm of pride, yeah. right? We need to value ourselves because Jesus valued us. Yeah. When he died on the cross for us, that's how much you are worth. And no matter how many mistakes you make, it doesn't change your value in that way. But we need to have a posture of valuing others even more highly than that, right? Because Jesus died for those other people too. And that's what their value is. And so we need to be valuing others highly, not devaluing ourselves. It's really important that we understand it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So in the scope, the pie chart of your life, how much time are you focused on yourself, because it's not about thinking highly of yourself. You shouldn't do that either, right? Uh, but it's about how much of your life is really spent thinking about yourself. We need to lower that pie, uh, pie piece, and really lean into thinking of others, right? Doing things for them rather than having that uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit that the scripture talks about. What do we do? We value others above ourselves we don't look to our own interests we look to the interests of others right we do things for them because they love doing that right we'll we'll do something with them there's a lot of times in my time in northwest arkansas of really trying to do things that other people like (laughs) just because i want to connect with them and i want to value them i have rock climbed a lot of times i don't like leaving my house okay? I, I would rather just sit at home, play video games, whatever. Uh, but I, I, I put myself out there, do things that other people love because I want that posture of humility Amen. that this is calling us to. So let's see how much we can really focus on others rather than focusing on ourselves. Amen? Amen. So what does humility look like towards God? Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 7. This is right uh, during the, the dedication of the temple. So Solomon had built this temple to God uh, that, that God had allowed uh, David's son. It was really David's dream for this temple to be built. And God said, I don't need that. But you know what? I'll encourage you and I'll let your son do it, right? And so Solomon makes this temple. And this is a part of God's dedication of this temple itself. So it's picking up in verse 14. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What a powerful statement from God here, right? As he is, is uh, looking at this temple that will be his home, that he will abide and be able to abide with his people in this place, it's special to him. And he makes it clear that humility is something he expects and needs out of his people, right? That, that in order for them to truly come to him, they need this humility. Right, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that they just come to him. And ultimately, that's what humility with God is, is realizing that your way is nothing compared to his way. That we set aside our own will, our own desires, our own thoughts about, well, this is what I think is best. We set that aside and choose God's way instead that we choose to seek his face, that we do things his way. And what will he do? He will forgive our sin, heal our land, all that good stuff, right? And so I, I love this passage, and I, I just wanted to, to really sink in. We need this humility towards God of understanding that he truly is in control, that he is sovereign, that He's in charge. And when we take our own charge of our own lives, of our own Volition and opinions and all that stuff is when things get really muddy and not so good, right? And in fact, right before this, that's kind of what he's talking about. He's like, well, Israel's probably going to leave me (laughs) at some point and at many points. But those who are called by my name, if they'll just humble themselves and come back, then I'll love them. Then I'll be there for them. Then I'll reach out to them and do what I can for them, right? Oftentimes, humility toward God is trusting godly people in our lives, right? That we choose his way rather than our own. And so often he presents his way, of course, through the scriptures, but also so often through one another, right? That he leads other people in this very room to share with you their thoughts, but really God's influencing them to guide you to do things his way we need godly people in our lives and not just, you know, that we all oh, we we chat with on Sunday morning or anything of that nature, but that we are involved in each other's lives, that we are there for each other and have people there for us that we're invested and really go and seek after that godly advice. Amen. This is crucial for truly understanding what it is to be humble because the fact is you are by far the least objective person involved in your life. It's just true, right? When we're trying to make decisions, we can have the best of intentions, and yet we don't see the picture the most clearly because we're in the thick of it. We're making those decisions, and, and they can be so emotionally driven so often, sentimentally driven often. We need godly, wise people in our lives that can help guide us and say, you need to take a step back and think about it like this. Think about this kind of perspective. And then if we're closed off to that in our pride, we'll do what we want to do anyway. And we already read how that's going to go. God's going to oppose that pride, right? Or we seek after that and we take that step back and we say, you're so right. I'm so glad that you were willing to share that with me. And there are a lot of times in my life that I've looked back on now and wished I had been more grateful. And I'm grateful for them now. But people had to speak the truth in love to me a time or two, right? Uh, And it's helped me so much. And I haven't even been a disciple that long, right? Uh, Man, we need this posture of humility. Let's uh, round out our understanding here. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says it pretty clear right here, right? You kind of don't have a choice. Humility is inevitable in our lives. Either you do get a choice. I I misspoke there. You can choose to be humble, and then what's God going to do? Exalt you, lift you up. He's going to honor that. Or... You can choose to be prideful. You can choose to oppose God. God doesn't lose, right? right. He's going to win. And so what's that going to do? That's going to humble us. Humility is inevitable in our lives. We get to make the choice if we choose to have it or if it's forced upon us in a way, right? We are going to be humbled. (laughs) We just have to choose, am I going to do it myself, choose that posture towards God, or is life gonna kind of break me? Uh, Because that's really what the world's gonna do. Uh, And it's not God being vindictive, this is just the world we live in, right? This world that, that wants to take advantage of us, in combination with a God who is truly sovereign, we're gonna get humbled if we're in opposition to that God that wants to help us, but we're choosing another way. Does that make sense, are you guys with me? humility is inevitable, guys. Let's choose to be humble, right? <laughs> I've been on the side of choosing not humility. I keep talking about this because it's so true in my life, right? I've been on that side too many times to, to ever vouch for, just let God humble you. It'll be great, right? But you know what? The journey is worth the destination, right? So even if you are prideful and God does humble you, that's still going to be awesome. Because humility towards God is the posture that we need to have. We're going to turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to look at a story that kind of encapsulates a lot, if not all, of what we've already talked about here. But really paints a picture of what that looks like. Amen? So turn with me there. Uh, it's going to be up, uh, up here. That picture's there for a reason. I want to give some background, okay? So the book of Daniel, I love it. It's uh, perhaps my favorite book in the entire Bible. It's incredible. And uh, this chapter is really interesting because it's one of the only ones written by a Gentile king. So Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to call him Chad from here on out, uh, if I remember. Uh, Chad, he, he wrote this chapter because what happened was impressed so much on who he was and who he became. That what happened in this chapter really meant so much to him. So what did happen in this chapter? Well, uh, Chad, he is king of Babylon. This is a nation that had taken over God's people uh, of, of Judah and dispersed many of them throughout the entire nation of Babylon. And so they, this nation took over God's people. You're not setting yourself up for success already, right? And so he, in this chapter, had a dream. And this dream he, he saw this massive tree, this beautiful tree that, that provided so much shade in the summer that these, these animals would come and, and nest in this tree and be safe and protected. This tree reached up to the heavens themselves, right? And all of a sudden, an angel comes down, an angel of God, and, and effectively decrees that this tree, it's getting chopped. It's going down, Right? And so uh, the angel decrees that this is going to happen, and this startles uh, Chad quite severely here. Uh, I'm going to read verse 17 uh, in this chapter. It says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. So this is the dream that Chad has. Uh, He's startled. He's freaking out a little bit about what what does this dream mean? And so he comes uh, to his advisors. None of them can help him. And if you've read Daniel, this is not new. I'm like, why even go to those guys? Just skip skip the line, go to Daniel. Uh, So he asks Daniel, and Daniel shares with him the meaning of this dream, that ultimately he is that great tree. Uh, that it would be him uh, that that has grown so much, that has done so much. His kingdom is kind of represented there, and he is the head of that kingdom. But that because of his posture of pride, God is going to chop it down, right? Because ultimately, this verse 17 that I read is true, that everyone needs to learn that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms, and that he sets over them the lowliest of people. It's up to him, whoever he wishes, who he sets up in charge of whatever God's got going on, because God is sovereign, right? That's the lesson he wanted Chad to hear. And so as uh, Daniel shares this uh, with Chad, he says, if you just humble yourself before God, it'll be fine. But if you choose that posture of pride, if you continue living the way that you are, this tree's getting chopped down. And you're going to feel what it is for God to humble you. And so for a year, Chad uh, does stay humble uh, for the most part. And then he gets full of himself. And that's uh, where we're going to pick up here. So uh, verse 28 is where we're beginning uh, right here. All this happened to King Chad. Twelve months later, right, that year I was talking about, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? How often has that been you in your life, right? Where you've looked, maybe at, at your house, maybe at your family, Maybe at, at your position at work or whatever it might be. Maybe it's at how many people you've, you've helped come to, to Christ that you've baptized. Maybe it's, it's the people you've impacted or shaped in some way. And you've looked and said, look at what I have built. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say it out loud, right? We know probably better than that. And yet this can be our life. This can be what's in the depths of our heart. That we look at our lives, we look at the things going on, and we say, look at what I have done. Look at this that I have built up by my mighty power, right? You hear the the very self-focused language that Chad here is using. (laughs) This is just the reality of where he was in that moment, right? He thought he was all that, and he thought he was the one who was in charge. Well, he's about to find out that is not true. (laughs) Amen? Uh, let's keep reading here. It says, Even as the words were on his lips, man was God swift this time. He's not always this swift, but sometimes it feels like it. Amen? Uh, right when they were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Chad. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass probably like seven years by, I'm sorry, seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Sounds a little like the verse I read, right? This is ultimately what he wanted him to learn, that the Most High is sovereign. And that he was sentenced to this time of wandering around like, a, like an ox, like a beast, that he would just roam and eat grass for seven years. And this happened, right? Chad here is writing about this occurring. This is intense. And he is truly, well and truly being humbled, right? Ultimately, he needed to learn that humility from God. And so God did whatever it took. But instead of humbling himself... He chose, you know what, I'll let God humble me, I guess. And it does not look pretty, right? He's, imagine this king of the greatest nation on the planet at the time, walking around on all fours eating grass. Not a good look, right? And so often that can be us in our lives. And we go through these things that can really teach us this humility that we need. I'm gonna share, uh, as I promised, a little bit about our birth journey because I feel like this helped me to really come to grips with the same lesson that Chad here is learning. So, uh, my wife Katie and I were pregnant. Uh, You guys uh, already talked about that. We did so much to prepare for uh, actually giving birth. We got advice from so many people uh, we, we went to classes at the hospital to learn so much a, a, about what we could. We even did the same kind of class twice just to make sure uh, that we really understood. We bought and read many books about birthing and then even parenting, even though like we haven't really started doing the parenting part uh, other than just waking up and changing diapers and stuff, right? Uh, and taking care of this kid who completely relies on us, which is an adventure in and of itself. But... Uh, focusing on the birth, right? Uh, that we did everything we possibly could to be ready. If there was somebody on this planet who was prepared for their birth, it was us. It was the Werners, okay? We were all in. We, we, were, we were doing absolutely everything, so we wouldn't be surprised by anything. And there are lots of different ways uh, for, for people to give birth, so please don't judge our decisions and what we wanted. But what we wanted was to have uh, no interventions at all. So no pain-reducing anything, no epidurals, uh, no help in all that, that we would just give birth naturally. Uh, that was not God's plan, apparently. <laughs> so uh, we, we were right around 41 weeks, which for those that don't know, full term is like 40 weeks on the dot. So 40 weeks is, is when you're expected it's, there's a whole range like 37 to 42 that's like within a normal, I don't want to get into it, okay? But we were right at 41 weeks, so the hospital was starting to tell us like if you don't go to labor soon, we should probably induce you and we were like ah, oh, we don't want any interventions, right? So we are really hoping and praying for for Parker to kind of give off the, the, the stuff that it's time to go, right? And for labor to start. And Katie had been having uh, like Braxton Hicks, which is practice contractions for like months. It, it was a long time, right? So we were like, sh- her body's ready. It's, it's so prepped for this. Uh, finally, a uh, Sunday evening, seven weeks ago today, uh, so uh, Katie starts to go into labor. And we're excited. Honestly, a little too excited because it was kind of hard to sleep, uh, which anyone who's been through labor knows that was unwise. Uh, and so we were just pumped. We were ready. We were like, it's finally here. We didn't, we thought maybe she'd be pregnant forever, right? Uh, But she wasn't. She went into labor. It was time. Uh, So we chose to stay at home during the early labor because it wasn't painful. It was all good. Uh, And then Monday night, so it was over 24 hours in by this point, uh, right around uh, like 28 hours, is uh, when it started to get painful for Katie. Uh, So she let me know. I was at at like midnight, I was going to McDonald's because she was pregnant. She gets what she wants, right? Um, I was going to McDonald's to to get food, uh, and I come back, and she says, it's starting to get painful. So right around 1 a.m., we head to the hospital. That's Monday night, Tuesday morning, right? So the contractions had been going for a while. uh, And then after 15 more hours of increasingly difficult pain... Uh, so this is probably around like uh, doing quick math forty hours into labor here uh, it the the pain was getting unbearable and there was no breaks between the contractions maybe like 30 seconds and then it'd get r- right back ramped up so she was screaming I didn't know how to handle it so I like started laughing a little bit because uh, it's just no, I, I didn't let her see. I told her after. She's laughing about it now, but like I started to like smile, and I was like, "This is messed up, man." Uh, <laughs> I just didn't know what to do with all the the feelings and stuff, right? But uh, forty hours in, uh, Katie's exhausted. The the baby was exhausted because uh, we were still in these stages of labor, and and you know she hadn't even dilated enough to start pushing by this point, and so. Uh, we decided, you know what? we are gonna do uh, some of the, the the epidural and stuff like that because the the pain was too much. She just needed a break. So uh, we do the epidural and it relieves the pain, but of course makes it more difficult uh, to be able to push and things like that. So she's exhausted. she finally gets a nap uh, that that night uh, what what was that? Tuesday night uh, finally, right? if I'm keeping track. Uh, so, We tried lots uh, of things to to try and help Parker come out, uh, and whatever the the hospital thought we could do, we also had like a birthing support, a doula there, uh, and she was trying to do everything she knew to do, but by the 66th hour of labor, uh, which is the longest I've ever heard of anybody, uh, and I asked a lot of people, uh, mind you, uh, we, we decided Katie couldn't handle it anymore, that she was just too exhausted, uh, that, that there wasn't any strength left because she had gotten such little sleep, and even the sleep she had gotten, her body was still working, right? And Parker in there was also getting exhausted. So we decided to get a C-section. It's a pretty typical procedure for a lot of births, but we were really scared. And a, as she was wheeled out, uh, I was sitting uh, alone in this, the room that we had been in for the past like three days right, as, as we were trying to give birth this whole time, and uh, I was just sitting alone kind of reconciling with the fact that everything was out of my hands, right, that, that the life of my wife and child were, were not in my hands, and I had to be ready for what if neither of them make it through this procedure. Now C-sections are usually pretty safe, but things can happen that are ultimately out of our control, right? But God is sovereign and I had to to reconcile with that fact that God could choose to do anything he could choose to protect my wife and my child and obviously that's what I would have preferred uh, and what happened amen they're both healthy and safe but I had to sit there and and reconcile with maybe they don't come back maybe that was the last time I saw my wife Maybe interacting with my son by, by singing him all those songs when Katie was pregnant and, and all of it's for, for him to not make it. I had to be reconciled with that God was sovereign. I was not in control. I had done absolutely everything I could to be in control and not, none of it worked. None of it seemed to me, maybe even help. Gave us a, a little peace and, uh, and then it didn't work. Time and time, things didn't go the way we hoped and wanted. And I had to come to this same notion that our friend Chad here had to come to, that God is sovereign. It's the God most high who's in charge, not me. And as much as I had prepped, as much as I knew, all my knowledge and prep was not enough to be able to protect uh, my wife and child. I just had to pray and hope that God would decide that he he wanted them to still be here. And he did. I'm so grateful for that. But it was a really hard time. And I think I was in there for probably like 20 minutes, 30 minutes while they prepped, but it felt like an eternity where I just sat and wondered what could happen. It was difficult. And a time in my life that I think God really used in order to teach me just the same idea. Let's keep reading uh, for for Chad's story here. Oh, we missed verse 33. My bad. Immediately, uh, what had been said about Chad was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Not a good look, right? Let's keep reading. At the end of that time, I, Chad, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Chad, Praise and exalt the glory and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I couldn't have said it better myself. What he really learned here, what he really got is is well and truly that God is sovereign. And this humility that he finally made managed to achieve here it says as he describes it that he became even greater than before right he was already the king of the most powerful nation he looked out probably at the those famous hanging gardens of babylon right and said look at all i have achieved but it wasn't until he was humbled that he became even greater than that right he was limiting himself with his pride. And we too, all too often, do just the same thing. We need to understand this total and complete understanding that God is in charge. God rules, right? Not just like, God rules, yeah, right? But like, he he is sovereign, he's in charge, he reigns over everything, right? As we sing about how awesome our God is, how he's a way maker right? Miracle worker. He's all of those things and he is those and he's sovereign and in charge of all things. He is that awesome, right? He is a way maker because he's awesome in those capacities and we need to look to him and understand it is he who is in charge. I've repeated a lot because I needed it repeated a lot to me, amen? And so please hear and understand God is sovereign, over whatever situations are happening in your life, whatever difficulties, whatever hardships, whatever is going on that that might be difficult, or even if things aren't difficult and things are peaceful and calm or you're complacent, know that God is sovereign over all those things. He's in charge, and we need to adopt this, this mentality of being humble towards him. Now, an immature response to understanding just how sovereign God is, is, well, it must not matter what choices I make. That's not true. You might not be in control, but God has chosen to give you agency. The the decisions you make impact things. They have power. And even as I look back at Katie and I's story, I don't regret getting prepped for the baby. I don't don't regret reading those books, even though things didn't go the way we wanted. I don't regret putting in the time to love my wife and son. Even as little control as I had, I'm excited and, and thankful that I was able to pour into them in that way, knowing that God is in control. And us, too, in our lives, we might feel stuck or like things just don't go well. Or, you know, it doesn't matter if I do things the righteous way or not because God's in control. He's going to do what he wants. Well, it does matter. We have agency in our lives. And the decisions we make, the things that we do, they matter. We need to understand that although God is in charge, he's also called us to live a certain way, to help and do things on his behalf. Not because he needs us to, but because he wants to include us as part of the family. And it's really good and healthy and helpful for us to really live lives in reverence to him. What you do matters. And complete humility looks like living a godly life. And notice, as King Chad here shares, he isn't self-focused, he doesn't devalue himself. He was eating grass for seven years and he's still is like, you know, God values me, right? None of what he says here is self-degradation. What he shares is all about God. What he shares that he learned isn't just how terrible he is, but how awesome a God he was now able to glorify. The God that we glorify this morning The God that we love and serve. He is awesome. He's amazing and incredible. And that is what we need to focus and fix our eyes on. Not just self-degradation, but we need to love God and fix our eyes on him. And as difficult of a time as Chad has here, we don't get much of a sense that he regrets that it happened. In fact, he's not even embarrassed about it. Right? He wrote this chapter, inspired by God, of course. Right? But he decided, you know what? I want to write about the single worst thing that ever happened in my life. So that people, years and years from now, will be able to look at what God was able to do for me. And I think that word there is important. For me. Not what God did to him. But he views this as something that helped him. Something that was able to bring him to a point of being even greater. And we need to view the times that God chooses to humble us in the same way. That it's not something to be afraid of, but something that brings glory to his name. And even though those things are hard, and the difficulties in life are nothing to scoff at or minimize, we can look at them as blessings. As things that ultimately help us to be all the more Loving all the more humble members of God's family. And that's important and something that a, a Gentile king was able to understand. And so we too, as, as God's people, as disciples of Christ, need to understand how important this is. These lessons learned are worth learning. God wouldn't bother if they weren't. And we need to look at the hardships that we go through as things that are good for us things that God does for us to help shape us to be more than we are. Each and every one of us in this room needs to seek a posture of even greater humility. As members of the body of Christ, we need to seek what it is to be humble. Just like Chad here, we can be made even greater, that we can become all the more We can see all the more done in our lives and all the more accomplished, all the more, you name it. But what it needs from you, what it needs from me, is this posture of humility. A perspective towards others that's rooted in valuing others above ourselves. A perspective towards God that realizes that he truly is sovereign. And you know what? He will oppose us in our pride but he'll show us favor and grace in our humility. Humility will be present in each and every one of us because it's inevitable, amen? Either we exalt ourselves and God humbles us, or we humble ourselves and allow God to exalt us. The decision is yours this morning. How you will choose to live your life, either you humble yourself or let God do the humbling. And we, no matter what, will come to learn that God truly is sovereign. Thank you so much. To God be the glory.